Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you're here. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Let's do pray for all the ones that responded uh, Sunday morning to the altar, uh, that, that uh, they would have fruit under, yeah, take that to her, uh, fruit under repentance, that it would remain. And then let's also pray, pray for Sunday. Um, you know, it's another one of those days, you know, there are some CEOs, Christmas and Easter only crowd. And uh, we just want to pray that, that the message uh, would, would penetrate heart, uh, hearts and lives. And, and uh, it's all about souls. Uh, so did I already ask if you have a need tonight? Did I? Okay. <laughs> See, I'm, still, I'm almost through with the jet lag. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father, tonight we're, we're grateful. Lord, what a beautiful day and just all the reminders around us of, uh, you know, with this Resurrection Sunday, Holy Week right now. Lord, around us we see everything blooming and turning green. And, Lord, it just, it's just the symbolism of new life. Lord, your word says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And, Father, I thank you for the newness that comes from our relationship with you. And I just pray tonight as we open up, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving. Thank you that your grace is still sufficient. Lord, that you're still reaching hurting hearts and lost people. Lord, I pray tonight for every hand that went up in the building, those that are online tonight. God, I pray that no matter what that need is tonight, we trust in you and we put our confidence that you're able to do more than we can even ask or imagine. And I pray, Father, that you would just uh, meet each need tonight, provide the resources that are needed, bring healing to those that need healing tonight. Lord, bring encouragement to those who are struggling tonight. Lord, for all the ministries on campus, I pray, Father, that you would be exalted and lifted high. And I pray you'll be with us in our study that you would open our hearts and let us hear what you're speaking to us. And be with us on Sunday. Even now, prepare the hearts of those who will be here. Uh, Lord, and, and throughout this, this nation, uh, as people celebrate the resurrection, Lord, may your message set people free. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. 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 God bless you. Maybe see seated tonight. I have no idea what my watch is trying to tell me. <laughs> um, Go ahead and turn with me to Joshua 14. We, we're, only gonna, we're gonna wrap this up next week. We're gonna do tonight and next week. Uh, we've been going through uh, the book of Joshua and uh, the title has been Courage in Trying Times. And how many know we live in some very trying times right now? Uh, I mean, everywhere you turn, there, uh, you know, you just see one more thing that causes you to stop and scratch your head and wonder what in the world's going on. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm just so thankful for his grace and the fact that he, uh, he's still on the throne. And uh, tonight the message is age is just a number. Age is just a number. So, so we're going to get right into it. May the Lord add his blessing to our teaching tonight. And, and I'm going to just kind of preface the scripture. I'll read scripture here in just a moment. But um, if, you, if you've been around here any length of time, you know that I have always joked about getting older, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's uh, one of those things. I, I, from Almost from day one, I've always joked about getting older. When I became pastor here at Bethel Temple, I was 27 years old. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a novelty uh, because most of the congregation of the 30 people that were here uh, when I came, most of them were over 50. So it was an interesting uh, there was some, I think, under 50, but most of them were over 50, and I was 27. So it was an interesting dynamic, to say the least. Um, I tell everybody, I grew up here. <laughs> you know, I, I learned here. I grew up here, and I've always, I've always made jokes about getting old uh, and about aging. In fact, 
some of you can remember my 30th birthday. Uh, I had talked about turning 30. I was depressed. about I, that, was, that was one of those that I was really, it really snagged me. I was depressed about turning 30. And, uh, and that morning, I'll just tell you, we, that was in 95, okay? So 1995, we had just started talking about building the Family Life Center, the original structure. Uh, if you, some of you might remember, it used to be just a metal building. And there was a driveway that went through where the entryway is. There was a driveway there. So I remember that morning, that Sunday morning, the board came and said, Pastor, we'd like to speak with you in the office. And I said, okay, of course, I like to be out greeting people. And I thought, well, this is important enough. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, somebody already wrote a check for the building. And I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> so we, we go back to the office, and we're sitting there, and they're just kind of chit-chatting. They're like, well, we're so excited about this building, and we're, we're excited what God's doing here. And they're not really saying anything of substance. And finally, I looked at them and said, guys, I, I don't know what we're having a meeting for. We got church. I'm going to go. And so I got up, and I walked out of the office. And when I got out here to the, to the doors, there was the usher there. They swung the door open. And everybody's standing up, and I thought, oh, boy, they got me. There was an older couple. There was a, uh, they had a wheelchair. They put me in the wheelchair, and they wheeled me around the building. And then they got me up here, and there was a rocking chair sitting on the, on the stage with an Afghan. And if you, any of you remember J.D. and Lena Mae Williams, two older, uh, older people in the church, they got up and started serenading me, singing a song, Never Grow Old. And so it was, a, it was a funny thing. I've always joked about age. And, and, and so tonight, uh, our, our, we're going to talk about, our lesson is about a man who just, he's just getting started at 85 years old. You know, and I can fully appreciate Caleb uh, the, and his exploits more now than I did 30 years ago. Now, I'm not 85 years old, but I'm getting older each day, and I'm discovering the truth is, outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. I found this, uh, I came across this little gym some time back, and, and, and I think it's very descriptive regarding the aging process. And it goes something like this. You know you're getting older when, number one, everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. The gleam in your eyes is from the sun hitting your bifocals. You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. You know you're getting older when your knees buckle, but your belt won't. <laughs> you sink your teeth into a stake, and they stay there. <laughs> I know, that's just not right. <laughs> you're asleep, but others wonder if you're dead. <laughs> your back goes out more than you do. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. <laughs> With my, with my stuff last year, I can relate to that. People, people call at 9 p.m. 9 p.m. and say, did I wake you? Last one. <laughs> your ears are hairier than your head. <laughs> I guess those are some signs of aging right there. You know, someone has said that age, uh, old age is when you got it all together, but you can't remember where you put it. And there's probably a little truth to that. You know, our, our text tonight, as I read here in just a moment, Caleb was an elderly man who had it all together. And not only did he have it all together, he knew where he put it. He knew where he put it. The, you know, when you read the Bible, there are some people 
in Scripture who stand out head and shoulders above everybody else. Moses outshines Joshua. Yet Joshua, not Moses, conquers the promised land. Joshua outshines Caleb, and yet Caleb, not Joshua, defeats the giants. You know, the Bible says of Caleb six times that he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. He was a mighty warrior of God. And so I want to begin, I just want to read verses 6 through 14. Joshua chapter 14 says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenzanite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him that it was as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people, notice what he says here, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am strong, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him. And gave him Hebron, to, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day, because, listen to this, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. So there's a couple things about that narrative there that we, we need to answer some questions. First of all, what happened at Kadesh? Okay? Because he references that. So what happened at Kadesh? Well, most people would have an idea because it is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You go back in the Old Testament, Moses uh, had sent out 12, uh, 12 spies, one from each tribe, uh, to scout out the promised land. After 40 days, these men came back, and they, they had a good report. You know, they talked about, you remember, the promised land was described as what? A land flowing with milk and honey, that, that symbolism of the abundance of this land. So these 12 spies, after 40 days, come back and they bring not, not just the word of what they saw, they also bring the evidence. I've been to the Middle East and, I, and I've, I've shared this with you before, but when you go into the, uh, the Dead Sea region, again, that's the lowest place on earth. Um, you can go to the beach there at the Dead Sea and there's a sign that says the lowest place on earth. It's about 1,400 feet below sea level. Uh, the oxygen content is rich, uh, we, grow, we grow oranges like this. They grow oranges like this. I mean, it's just astounding. Their dates, if you're into dates, they like, they're, they're like honey. Their flowers are incredibly beautiful, colorful. Um, so they bring back some of the, the fruit and some of the produce and stuff from, from the region, and they go on and on. So they, bring, they come back with good news, 
But then they also came back with bad news. You see, the spies again reported that the land indeed was flowing with milk and honey. They brought back the grapes and the pomegranates so that people could sample how wonderful they were. The promised land lived up to its name. It was worth the long trek through the wilderness to get to this place. That was the good news. But then they followed up with the bad news, which was much worse. And the bad news was that there were cities hostile to the Israelites. There were Canaanite strongholds, and there were, there were walled cities. People who lived behind them were not kind uh, to the, the children of Israel. They, um, and they seemed numerous. And furthermore, not only were there enemy, there were enemies there, the Bible says that they came back and said there were giants there. And they were physically intimidating. They were bad dudes. And they came back and described these men. And they said, you know what? We look like grasshoppers in their sight, so we were grasshoppers. They, again, they were intimidated by the size of these men. Ten of the spies of the 12, ten of them came back and concluded that there was no way that the Jews in their state could, abs- could go in and successfully take the land. It just wasn't going to happen. They, they had to find some other place to live because if they invaded Canaan, they would certainly be defeated. That was the, the bad news from these ten spies. Two of the spies disagreed. Remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And it's interesting. They saw what the others saw. Okay, they weren't. Uh, but they also remembered God's promises. You know, they saw the same thing. They remembered God's promise to go with them and to give them victory. But because of the people and because they gave in to fear, they were sentenced to wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that unbelieving generation were to die off. That's, ter- that's terrible. Again, there, there are a lot of lessons that we could talk about tonight, one of which I think would be obvious, and that is that the majority is not always right. The majority is not always right. In fact, oftentimes the majority is dead wrong. It's dead wrong. In this case, they were not only wrong, all ten of the unbelieving spies ended up, they ended up dead, and they never made it to the promised land again because of unbelief. While the people were contemplating the bad news and good news, Caleb, I love what Caleb does in Numbers chapter 14. Caleb makes an impassioned plea, and here's what he says. He said, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Wow. Now, some translations render that particular verse in Numbers 14.9, we will devour them. Same thing, they like bread to us, meaning we're going we're gonna to eat them up. We're going to take care of business. Listen, that's how a man of God talks. Aren't you tired of timidity in the pulpits, fear? You know, that's how a man of God talks. Hey, we're not going to fear this stuff. We're not, we're not going to be intimidated because God gave us a promise that he would go with us and he would fight for us. We can do this. I like the scripture says, he said, we are well able to do this, well able. You know, see, Caleb saw the problems. He saw the same <coughs> Pardon me, he saw the same walls, he saw the same giants, same thing the ten spies did. And you got to understand that when Caleb gets up and says, hey, don't, come on guys, we can do this, he's not, he's not denying reality. He's not denying reality, he sees it, he knows what's going on, he knows it's going to be a tough fight. But Caleb had a big God, 
He had a big God. He understood that one man plus God equals a majority. And I, and I think we've forgotten that in our, in our culture today. Listen, I, I truly believe, in, and, and I, I hate to say it, you know, as a patriot, someone that loves this country, I, I, hate, to say, I hate to see what's happening to Christians. read a story about a lady uh, this, just earlier today. She uh, is a lady in Oregon who uh, they had made some impassioned pleas to adopt children. And uh, because they had an overflow or, uh, you know, just the, the foster care system was just kind of run amok and they were looking for good families to adopt and, and she wanted to adopt. A Christian lady wanted to adopt. And so she gets into the process of adopting two twin babies and when it comes time for her to go through some of the classes, some of, one of the classes that they wanted her to go through is that she had to go in and agree to use any personal pronouns that those kids may want to uh, adhere to and if they wanted to go in and get injections and hormone therapies and things like that, that she would have to submit to that. And she said, absolutely not. Not my Christian values. I cannot do that. And they stopped her from adopting because of her Christian beliefs. Again, I, I, that's just one in, isolated incident. There, there, it's happening everywhere. But that doesn't mean that you and I circle the wagons and, and, you know, and, and sing the song. I'm not even going to say that. Our, our position is not to hunker down. Caleb says, hey, we can do this. Because he understood that he had a great big God. And those enemies were no, no match to him and God. Again, because the people gave in to fear uh, and, and they were afraid to fight, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, slowly dying off. That unbelieving generation died off. And the only ones who were left were Joshua and Caleb who said, hey, we're well able to do this. I look at our culture today and the vision that God has given, and, and it's never changed. Probably in 90 94, 95, early 94, 95, God gave a vision for where, what Bethel could do. And see, and, a, and again, the numbers, it's, it, it's numbers, and it, it's a 1,000 active members. And it's not just the number, it's the active part. It's the active part. It's about, it's about getting soldiers in the Lord's army that fan out throughout the county and beyond and, 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 and spread the gospel, shining the light of, of Christ into the dark corners and recesses of our community. And it's still just as alive and real today as it's ever been uh, in my tenure here. Just because it's getting darker doesn't mean the light can't shine. In fact, the light tends to shine brightest in the dark. So, so that's kind of the backstory. So now we fast forward 45 years. Moses has died. Joshua led the new generation across the Jordan River. Jericho falls, then I falls. They conquer, I, they conquer the south, the, then the north. And now it's time for them to divide the land and settle down. So here comes Caleb. And when I think about this, I always, I always think about uh, J.R. Fields, Brother Fields, who passed away short, short of his 102nd birthday. When I first met Brother Fields, I think he was like 72 years old. And that was when we were building that Family Life Center. And he would climb scaffolding. If you've been in there, it's uh, 23 and a half feet to the, to the ridge. He would climb at 73 years old scaffolding to hang wires to run lights. Scared me to death. 
but he, he had all the gusto and the energy. So I, I just kind of picture him, you know. Caleb coming up, you know, he's 85, but he acts like he's 45. He's kind of reminds me of those supplement. You ever seen those supplement commercials, you know, that they kind of push those? Frank Thomas, you know, the, the old baseball player, Frank Thomas, uh, you know, somehow this pill that he's taken has given him new energy and new stamina. I like the one with Tim Tebow sitting in a restaurant, and uh, he overhears a conversation between a man and his wife, and, you know, he urges the young man to go check out his personal training videos, his website and, and program, and, and his wife looks at him and says, you should do whatever he's doing. <laughs> you know, Caleb, 85, acting like he's 45. Number, uh, Caleb is he's ready to tackle whatever assignment God had for him at 85 years old. In Numbers 14, 24, God gives an assessment of this man, Caleb, and I love what it says. Here's what God said about Caleb. He said, my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Isn't that great commentary? My servant Caleb, he's a different breed. He's different. I mean, man, he's got to be at 85 to come on and say, give me my mountain. Got to be something different about that guy. I mean, how would you like that to be on your resume? God said, he's different. She's different. See, God looked at Caleb and said, you know what? This man's different. He's not like others. He has a different spirit about him. That's the secret of his life. So why did God bless Caleb? Well, let me give you three answers to that tonight. Number one, he believed God when others wouldn't. We, again, we go back to Kadesh. He, he, he believed God when everybody else outside of Joshua would not believe. You know, here's the thing. Peer pressure, everybody know what peer pressure is, right? Peer pressure can be good or bad. You know, we talk about, pardon me, we talk about iron sharpening iron. That's positive peer pressure. Peer pressure can be good or it can be bad. And it's never easy to go against the crowd, especially when your friends are going the other direction. It's not easy. If the people you know um, say that it can't be done, it's, it's, it's hard to stand up and say, just watch. It's hard. If that circle that you're in keeps saying, you know what, it, it, it can't be done, it's hard for you to stand up and say, you know what, you're wrong. But at Kadesh, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what Joshua and Caleb did when it came time to speak up. Everybody else, the entire nation, was following the naysayers. And Joshua and Caleb said, wait a minute, it can be done. The exact opposite of the majority. Listen, I'm, I'm sure that, that you know, Israel, they, these guys were very persuasive. They talked about walled cities. They talked about giants, made them feel like grasshoppers. You know, fear is contagious, by the way. Fear is contagious. I mean, who, who wants to enter into a battle thinking that there's no way you can win? That's why we have to be, as parents, we have to be careful about what we say to our children because you're creating an atmosphere that, if you're not careful, can become a reality. Who wants to be told, well, you can't do it? There are giants there. They will devour us. We're like grasshoppers. <laughs> oh, boy, let's get our swords and go. Not a very good motivation speech, right? Not, not the, not the halftime coach's speech that you want in the locker room to say, hey, hey, guys, I know they're bigger than we are. They're faster than we are. They have a better quarterback than we do. But let's go out there and win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coach, we're with you. <laughs> That's just not how it works. That's how the Israelites felt. 
I mean, again, in their mind, they're thinking, how can 10 men be wrong and two men right? Who are you going to believe, the 10 or the 2? I believe it's human nature to follow naysayers. There's just something about human nature that wants to believe the negative. Am I telling the truth? You get more people that will follow something negative than want to inquire about something positive. If somebody comes in and says, I want to tell you what wonderful things are happening to so-and-so, they're not going to be that much interested. But if you come in and say, oh, I got some dirt on this one. You want to hear it? Inquiring minds want to know. How do you think they still sell those magazines at the, at the, uh, cat, the checkout at HEB and other places? Talks about the aliens that have come down. Anyway, you know what I'm, t- you know what I'm talking about. You've read the headlines. Listen, it's human nature to follow naysayers. Doesn't make it right, but it helps us understand what happened. If enough people repeat a lie, pretty soon that lie begins to sound like the truth. By the way, that's how you get fake news. Remember my saying, if Hollywood's for it, if the media's for it, if politicians are for it, you ought to be against it. That's pretty much sums it up right there. That's how you get fake news. They tell you a, a sliver of what actually happened, and then they commentate on it to try to twist the narrative. Listen, it sounded, to them, it sounded perfectly reasonable and from a human standpoint, logical, that these 10 men were right. That there was no way they could do it. But the Jews, again, in their mind, the Jews didn't stand a chance. But God had already told them, I will go with you. I will go with you. Listen, that changes the odds. Think about that. The odds might be against us and the deck may be stacked against us. But God is the ace in the hole. He makes the difference. Our sign, if you've seen our billboard as you're driving into town on the left there, and it has a picture of the, of, of the, of the, uh, the tomb, and in the back it shows the cross, and on top it says, this changes everything. And it did. It did. It still does. It changes everything. The Jews didn't stand a chance on their own, but with God. Paul, what did Paul say? All things are possible. With God, it was possible. I mean, if God is with us, how in the world can we lose? If he's already given assurance that no matter where you go, wherever your feet will trod, I will give that to you. That's a promise. And if God falters at one promise, none of them are, are any good. If one promise is not upheld, none of the promises will be upheld. So they already had God's word on it. All they got to do is go. So you got to give Caleb the credit he deserves. When the whole nation gave in to fear, Caleb and Joshua stood up and said, wait a minute, guys. We can do this. They were right. And the majority was dead wrong. The second thing, the reason God blessed him was that he never let go of God's promise. He never let it go. Caleb was 40 years old when Moses sent out the 12 spies to check out the promised land. After they made the wrong choice, Caleb and Joshua were subjected to wandering in the wilderness with these same people that doubted, had no belief. They, had, they were filled with unbelief. Don't you imagine at some point they got tired of hearing the complaining? There's one thing that really gets my gall. I can't complain, complaining. I got a hand grenade on my desk, 
And it says, it's a complaint department. Take a number. <laughs> just imagine, I mean, just imagine them walking around for 40 years wondering with these same people that doubted and now they are an endless supply of murmuring and griping and moaning and groaning. How many of you have ever held on to something for a long time and it just became a wearisome thing to you? See, one thing that separated Joshua, or excuse me, Caleb, is that he held on to God's promise. 45 years. I shared with you about one of my Sunday school teachers when I was a kid growing up whose husband was not a believer. He had no problem with her going to church, had no problem with her being involved. She was involved in just about everything. She was a great teacher, great lady of the church, uh, just a spiritual giant. And every time prayer requests would come around, we would always pray for her husband. And I remember the prayer was, God, whatever it takes to reach my husband, reach my husband. And you've heard me say this before. I've shared this before. One day he's out in their pasture with his tractor, and he's trying to pull a stump out of the ground. And as he's pulling that stump out, the tractor flips over on top of him, crushes him underneath that tractor. And so here he is laying in this pasture thinking he's going to die. And he's laying there, uh, and he just says, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you till I die. Well, he was able, they rescued him, got him out, took him to the hospital. He had complications the rest of his life, but he was a devout believer until he drew his last breath. Until he drew his last breath. Um, she held on to a promise. It was something that she started praying uh, for, and she held on and would not relent, and she kept praying, God, whatever you've got to do. I mean, that's a hard prayer to pray because you don't know what it's going to take to do that. But she was more concerned about his eternal salvation than her time with him here on earth. She held on to that, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. Again, you may be here. Maybe you're online this, this evening, and maybe you're holding on to something. You're praying. Maybe you're praying a similar prayer. You're holding on that, God, you're going to reach my husband. You're going to reach my wife. Don't give up. Caleb did not give up on the promises of God. Remember, again, the children of Israel, they were good at murmuring and complaining. You know, they would say things like, well, I wish we were back in Egypt. Again, that just boggles my mind because in Egypt, they, it was a land of not enough. They didn't have enough of this and enough of that. They, were task, they were, had taskmasters, slave drivers, and, and they were, you know, again, they would just, I wish we were back in Egypt, you know. And then they would say things like, well, I'm so tired of manna. I'm so tired of quail. Can you, I mean, can you picture that? Wah, 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 wah. Cry me a river, <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't know how you got tired of manna. That's, that's Krispy Kreme donuts, and I could do a daily supply every day. They probably, probably say things like, why are we walking in circles? You know, I mean, again, it's just one thing after another. Here's another one they probably said, Moses is a lousy leader. If I was in charge, I'd do things different. <laughs> There's always somebody got that one. If I was in charge, I'd be doing it different. Well, you might be doing it different, but God put him in charge. And for 40 years, that's what they had to listen to. I mean, you can read numbers. All I got to do is read numbers. It's in there. They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're griping, they're belly aching. They complain, they moan, they gripe for 40 years. 
It must have ground, grind, had, had been grinding on Moses. I'm sure Joshua and, J- and Caleb got tired of that constant griping. So now they're in the promised land. Joshua, so you got to fast forward. They, they survived that 45 years or 40 years, whatever it was. And anyway, they're in the promised land. Successful conquest. The future is bright, okay, after 45 years. Caleb steps back on. So, so we have a period of time that he's lost. They're wandering in the wilderness. You see the interactions and all the stuff that goes on there. And then all of a sudden, after 45 years, Caleb steps back on the scene of biblical history. He's an old man now. He's way past his retirement age. But somebody forgot to tell him he was too old. They forgot to tell him. So he comes up to Joshua and he says, hey, give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. He had his eyes set on Hebron. The north, that's where the snow-capped mountains, that's where the, the water melts, the, that flows down into the, uh, into the Jordan River, to the Sea of Galilee, down to the Dead Sea. He said, I want my mountain. I want my mountain. When Abraham, when Abraham died, the only land that he owned was a sacred burial ground in Hebron. You can read it in Genesis 23, he bought it from Ephron, the Hittite, for 400 shekels of silver. That was the only land that he possessed. Abraham purchased that land so he could bury his wife, Sarah. Over the years, it became a final resting place for many of the founders of Israel, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah. It was their burial ground. Hebron was in the hands of the pagan Canaanites, and as far as Caleb was concerned, that land belonged to God's people. It was land that God had given to them. And he intended at 85 years of old of age to take it back because it wasn't theirs. I love, I love that. Why did he say, I want my mountain? Well, he said it because he never let go of God's promise. I was 40 years old when God spoke and gave me this mountain. And it's been a long time coming. I'm 45 years older now. I'm 85, but I'm still strong, and I still want my mountain. There's somebody who didn't let the dream die. There's somebody that didn't let the promise of God just fade with inactivity or delay after delay. See, a lot of times we interpret delays as denials. That's not it at all. God's delays aren't denials. There's preparatory work that has to go on. At an age when most men are slowing down, Caleb is just getting started. He had to pedal to the metal. He wasn't going to ease up. It's like the song says, if I'm not dead, he's not done. <laughs> God's still got work to do. And number three, he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Where is his success? What's the root of his success? It's right there. The success of Caleb was because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Again, six times in Numbers and Joshua, we are told that he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Now, what does it mean to wholeheartedly follow the Lord? That means that there's no reservation. See, today, when we think of wholeheartedly following the Lord, we want to say, God, I'll give you everything except. God, I'll do anything but. I'll go anywhere beside. That's not wholeheartedly following the Lord. Wholeheartedly following the Lord is Isaiah 6, when the, when the Scripture says, Whom shall I send and who will go? Joshua says, Here am I, Lord, send me. No other qualifier on it. Here am I, send me. That's wholeheartedly following the Lord. That's what Caleb did. 
When Dr. Boyce preached on Caleb, he pointed out that the great men, here's what he said about great men. He's, again, talking about Caleb. He said, great men tend to be simple men. Now, that's not a disrespect, okay? Simple men. What he means by that is that they are men who are captured by one big idea. One big idea. Weak men have divided loyalties. Does that make sense? A strong man has a big idea. He commits to it. You know, I think about some of the giants of faith in my, in my lifetime, people that had one big idea. I think about some of the missionaries that I admire so much. They have one big idea, and that is to take the gospel. I, when I was in Sri Lanka last week for the presentation of the Fire Bible, I didn't realize that I have a cousin who is a missionary in Sri Lanka. I didn't know it. I, they saw my name on the program and tracked me down, and I'd met them before. They're, they're, they're a distant, about third cousin. Uh, she and her husband are actually missionaries to the Maldives. And, uh, I mean, it was interesting to talk and, and, and listen to their story about how they ended up from Hurley, Mississippi, which is right across the line from Mobile, uh, out to West Texas, and then from West Texas all the way over on the other side of the world in Sri Lanka. People like, I, I admire, they have one big idea, and, as that every, and that is everybody deserves to hear the name of Jesus one time, at least once. See, Caleb was a simple man with a committed idea. Give me my mountain. You know, weak men are divided. They're, they have divided loyalties. They can never commit to anything uh, wholeheartedly. They're here one minute, and they're there one minute, and they're over here one minute, and they're just all over the place. It's like they have no aim, no direction. If you, again, if you see somebody floating around like that, you know, then, again, they're, they're, that sounds really bad to say that. They're weak people. <laughs> They've not committed. They've not jumped in. That's why we have to be careful uh, when, when people, listen, I love, I love the altar call Sunday. I love, you know, those things really, my prayer is that it's not an emotional decision of the moment. That the decision of people, it gets down to the core of who they are because it's commitment and it's going to require something of them. But simple-minded people, or, or excuse me, weak people, never totally commit to anything. Weak men never do. Simple men commit. They're, they're, they're simple at the core. that He believed God. He remembered his promises. And in his old age, he said, it's now time to give me my promise. I want to say this, morning, this evening, hang on to that promise. Hang on to that promise. You may be here, maybe you're online this, this evening, and maybe you're holding on to a promise for a wayward son or daughter. Hang on to that promise. Keep trusting and believing God. When others are being pulled seven different ways, voices here, voices here, voices here. Caleb said, no, I still got a mountain to conquer. I still have a promise to uphold. And I love the thing about Caleb. Caleb didn't consult the daily tracking poll. <laughs> you know, he didn't read the polls. To see whether or not he would believe what God said. He didn't stick his finger in his mouth and hold it up to the wind. See which way it was blowing to follow suit. For that matter, if you look anything about Caleb, he didn't ask his friends what they were going to do or what they thought about what he was going to do. Because he was singularly focused. Give me my mountain. He wasn't worried about what his best BFF was going to say. He wasn't worried about what these other people were going to say. He was singularly focused on taking possession of what God said he could have. Every day when he got up, he determined in his heart to follow the Lord. And in that context, it is the exact opposite 
of the double-minded man in James 1. Remember what James said about a double-minded man who's tossed about to and fro with the winds of popularity and public opinion? He said a double-minded man is what? He is unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. That's why it's important that we get to a place where we anchor ourselves in something that outlasts us. Something that's eternal. Caleb was different. If God said, take the land, <laughs> Caleb said, okay, boys, strap on that sword. We got, we got a job to do. That was him. He didn't sit there mulling it over. He just said, okay, God said it. Let's go do it, guys. He didn't let anything distract him from that, that doing God's will. So, so, again, what really happened at Kadesh? Well, Ten spies said, look how big those giants are compared to us. Caleb said, look how small they are compared to God. That's what really happened there. Everybody else, all the other ten were directing the attention to the, to the obstacle. Joshua and Caleb were directing them to God. See, that's the difference. God's not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, power, love, and of a sound mind. How do we, how do we obtain that? We do that by, by minimizing the issues and magnifying him. See, we tend to do the opposite. We think our problems are greater than anything else around. And again, I'm not minimizing anybody's problems. But what we do is we focus on those things and they become insurmountable. And we shrink down to God. Joshua, Caleb did the opposite. They focused, the ten spies focused on the size, like, look how big they are. Caleb said, look how big our God is. <laughs> when, you, when you see that in comparison, there's really nothing to be afraid of. The ten spies said, they're too big for us to fight. Caleb said, they're too big for us to miss. Because he had the right focus. I don't know about you, church. We need that spirit today. We need that spirit today. We've got plenty, you know, and, 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 and again, our, I think our culture is trying to push us. Uh, what did Paul say in Romans 12? Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. I think the world right now is working really, really hard to squeeze us into their mold where we are nice, docile Christians that go along to get along. I don't think that's what God, listen, I don't believe that we intentionally go out and provoke Anybody, I don't believe that at all, but I do believe we should be standing up and speaking the truth. We've got plenty of nice people today who want to go along to get along. They want to stand for Christ, but they're worried about what other people think. They intend to take a stand, but when the time comes, they're nowhere to be found. They're the summer soldiers or the sunshine patriots who disappear when the bullets start flying. If we're going to defeat the giants... Somebody's going to have to stand up and say, you know what? We have the promise of God. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Somebody's got to raise their voice. Somebody has to lead the church. Onward, Christian soldier. Yeah, we used to sing that. And it was a call for Christian believers to unite, to stand up against the, the, the encroaching darkness. But today we've made peace with it. 
And we've even got to the point where we say, well, you know, that's just a sign of the time. That's the way it's going to be. I know what the book says, but it doesn't tell me to sit around and wait for it. To, it, it tells me to keep on fighting as a good soldier. That's what it tells me to do. Listen, it's imperative for us as we get older. I mean, the truth is, there are things we can't do, right, as we get older. I, I commented to a friend of mine and said, you know, I could never go pastor another church as I have pastored this church. There's no way. There's no way I could do that. This, the, the, and that's the truth. I'm, I'm at a different season in my life. I'm, at a, I'm, I'm different in so many ways. My, my, listen, my season here is going to end. Just, it's it's, it's going to end. But that doesn't mean when it does that God wants me to go out and pasture and just kind of coast along. I want the same spirit. I say I'm at a different season. What that means is my energy level's different. My energy level's different. You know, I mean, as, as hard as that is to admit, the physicality, you know, I'm a hands-on guy. Some of you remember Lucy Stewart. <laughs> Lucy went on a mission trip with us. I spent a few years, back, several years ago, we were one of the things that our team has been known for, particularly in Latin America and the Caribbean area, is bricklaying, uh, cinder blocks. And, and uh, I, lay, I can lay cinder blocks. I can lay brick. Don't like it very much, but <laughs> I can do it. And so I can, I remember when we got done with the trip, she came up to me and she said, I just owe you an apology. And I said, what for? She said, I just didn't think pastors worked that hard. <laughs> I said, well, some don't. I said, some don't. I said, I just, I'm, I'm just, a, I don't have that energy level. Now I'm finding myself looking for mission strips where I can teach <laughs> and not lay brick. <laughs> I can do a spiritual building <laughs> and not a physical building. Again, different season. I mean, we know what we're talking about, right? How many of you today can't do something you could do 10 years ago? Or maybe have a little more difficulty? I got up on my roof the other day, okay? My daughter's sitting here going to give me the evil eye. <laughs> so, so my dad, my dad, you know, was a firefighter, and on the side he had a roofing business, contractor. And I, had a, my, I have a skylight in my, in my house, and I noticed that it had cracked, I guess from the last hailstorm. And so I got up there to check it out. And now I've never been afraid of getting on a roof. I've never been afraid because I've roofed from the time I was 10 years old. I get up there and I, I get nervous, especially coming down because uh, hell had beat the granulars on the, on the shingle and some of it was bare and loose. And I'm thinking, oh boy, sure as I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting there, I, I'm a little bit timid, trying to get back to the ladder to figure out how I'm going to get down. I never had that before. I thought, wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, I could see myself tumbling off the roof, laying there on the ground going, help, <laughs> hoping the neighbor's around to listen to me. There are things we can't do. Most of you know I like to watch football, and... Uh, if you watch a football game, many of the games, if not most of the games, are won in the fourth quarter. Think about that. In the last few minutes of the game. The truth is, many of us here are in the fourth quarter. We're in the fourth quarter. We don't know how much time is left, right? 
We don't, we don't have time to murmur and gripe about things. We, we still have to run our race, and we still have to reach lost people. There's a game to play, uh, there, there, and we've got to play hard. We've got to play fast because time is short. What do the scriptures say? Work while it is day because the night comes when no man can work. There'll, be a, there'll come a time when I, won't preach an, I can't preach another message. There'll be another time where I can't give another box of food or render aid in some other way. There'll be a time when I can't do that. There'll be a time when our voices will be silent. So while we still have time, we need to be doing what we can. Listen, I don't, I don't remember ever not believing in Jesus. Even in my backslidden state, I still believed. You know, most days I really don't feel old, even if I joke about it. I do feel the loss of energy. I do feel the loss of stamina. I tire out quicker than I did, I used to. You know, 25 years ago, it was like I had an endless supply of energy. I see these kids running around here today, and I think, man, if we could just bottle that up. And then I thought about it. It may not be so good because it'd be like plugging in a 110 to a 220. <laughs> I was in Santiago, Chile one time, and I, had, I always traveled with a fan. And nobody told me it was a different voltage. They told me I needed a, uh, an adapter, so I bought an adapter I get in my hotel room down in Santiago, and I plug that fan in, and I put it on low, and it goes, it started smoking, blew the breakers in my room. <laughs> I thought, that's what it would be like if I got those kids' energy, and I dumped it in me. <laughs> Listen, our bodies, <laughs> this old body's got a lot of miles on it, right? And it's years. But you know what? I haven't peaked yet. Because there's still things to do. There's still people to tell the message of Jesus. There's still ministry to plan, outreaches to do, mission trips to organize. Caleb said, I am as strong today. And I think he was talking about what was inside. I think he was saying, you know what? My spirit hasn't dampened one bit. My body might be 45 years older but my spirit is as fresh today as it's ever been. Listen, I, I want to challenge you tonight to be like Caleb. His eyes never wavered. He spoke without fear, and he said, you know what? I was promised this mountain 40, 45 years ago, and I'm here to stake my claim, give him a mountain. And he was ready, and you read the account. Here, here's a, let, me, let me read you a, a poem I found about, about Caleb. kind of sums up. As I close, he stood before Joshua with flashing eyes. Give me this mountain before I die. But Caleb, you're old and the mountain is high. Choose a peaceful spot on this plain to die. The people who live on the mountain are strong. The battle you fight will be bloody and long. His eyes never wavered as he spoke without fear. I've been promised this mountain for 45 years. And as for the people being mighty and tall, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. For it's not my strength on which I'm counting, for the Lord is going to give me that mountain. So let's quit talking while it's still light, for the Lord and I have a battle to fight. Isn't that good? Quit yakking and get to fighting. Won't you stand with me tonight? How about that for the last words? Quit yakking and get to fighting. <laughs>
What an enduring spirit Caleb had. He kept going. Again, I, it would be easy to read through that and, 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 and think, well, I just don't. I, listen, I understand the physical differences. We, again, I'm, I'm getting to that place where I notice. Again, I notice that outwardly we are wasting away. There are things that we're not going to be able to do. But it doesn't mean that our spirit has to die within us. It doesn't mean that we have to check out and wait for that trumpet to sound or, or the re- grim reaper to come calling. It, we don't have to wait for that. Keep, keep pursuing the promise. Stake your claim. Whatever your mountain is, God, I'm claiming that. You, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my job, my health, I'm claiming my mountain, and I'm going to hold on to it. May God help, help us to have a Caleb spirit. Would you bow with me tonight as we close in prayer? And that's just what I'm going to ask. If you're online tonight, if you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I, I do want that. I want the Caleb spirit. Again, you might be young here, and, 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 and all this talk is foreign to you. I promise you, if the Lord tarries, you're going to be where we are. If the Lord tarries, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Caleb, for 45 years, wandered in the wilderness, and I promise you, he never lost, never lost sight of the promise God gave him. He held on to the dream of inheriting that mountain. And when the time was right, he walked in and said, now it's my time. Give me my mouth. Maybe here tonight or maybe online say, you know, Pastor, I want the Caleb spirit. I want that Caleb spirit in me. I, 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 I may be getting old physically. The physicality of, of life and ministry may be toiling. But I want my spirit to be as robust today as it's always been. If that's you, just slip your hand right, right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much. Thank you, or thank you for the example of Caleb. Thank you that he stands in stark contrast to the majority who, who did not believe. Or thank you for a man who, is, who exemplifies what it means to hang on to a promise, to commit to something and stay, through, stay to, true to it until it's fulfilled. Father, I pray for each of us here tonight and those online. Lord, help us to develop that Caleb spirit. Lord, to, to have that inner tenacity, Lord, that no matter, uh, Lord, no matter how things are around us, Lord, no, for 45 years he had to walk around listening to the naysayers and the, and the doom and gloom sayers, Lord, but he held on to that dream. He held on to that promise. He never wavered from it. Lord, I pray that we walk around holding on to that promise that you've given to each of us, and we do so without wavering. Even when we look around and we see all the things that are happening in society, Lord, those things that concern us, those things that really uh, uh, attack us, Lord, help us to stand firm in who you are and the promises that you've given to us. And, Father, help us to have that renewed spirit within us. Lord, I pray that you would give us that spirit of Caleb, Lord, that would not give up, but that would wholeheartedly follow you. Thank you that we can sell out to you and live fully all the days of our life. I ask you now to go with us. Give us a wonderful, restful night. May we sleep soundly in you. Lord, and I pray as we prepare for Easter, uh, Lord, I pray that you'll bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Lord, and we ask for a great harvest of souls as we proclaim the message of, of salvation and the fact that you live. And because you live, Lord, we can face every challenge that comes our way. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, 
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. So